Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Learn to Lead podcast brought to you by Ability, an experiential learning company based in beautiful Austin, Texas. I'm your host, Matthew Confer, and today on the show, we have Rita McGrath, who is a professor at Columbia Business School and the best-selling author of The End of Competitive Advantage. Her newest book is Seeing Around Corners, How to Spot Inflection Points in Business Before They Happen. Thanks so much for joining us today, Rita. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm going to start with a statement on your website that says the goal needs to be helping organizations get past innovation theater to create new opportunities they can actually do something about. Why do you think so many companies are obsessed with innovation theater? What is innovation theater and what can they do about it? Well, innovation theater is a phrase that um, we can't remember how it happened, but Steve Blank and Alexander Osterwalder and I started talking about it probably at dinner, probably in Berlin some years ago. And what that refers to is this phenomena where organizations will do very showy things. So back in the day, they would send teams of people off to Silicon Valley, or they'd create an incubator, an accelerator, a studio that, you know, install foosball tables <laughs> at headquarters. I mean, all this stuff, right? That really doesn't get at what it takes to get past the pull of today to make real investments in the future. When you're first working with an organization, what sorts of questions do you ask to try to uncover if they have real innovation going on or if they have more innovation theater going on? Well, I actually have a survey called the Innovation Mastery Scale. So if we want to get all scientific about it, that's where I'd start. But more informally, I'd look at things like um, what what's on your executive agenda. So sometimes I'll ask them to send me the agendas for the last time, you know, important people got together to talk about important stuff. And if you go down that agenda and you find that your innovation program is item number 18, you know, right after material safety data sheet update, <laughs> you know, you know, you've got a problem. The senior people aren't paying attention. So the first clear sign that it doesn't matter is when senior people are not devoting consistent, reliable, regular attention to reviewing their innovation programs. What's a light bulb moment that you've seen? What's a tactical or tangible example where you've seen an organization make a real impactful change and the resulting implications were more successful innovation, a company that's more committed to innovation. Do you have an example where you've seen that light bulb moment turn and then everything was different from that point forward? Oh, absolutely. So one that I recall very fondly was with a, a group at Pearson that was doing pencil and paper assessments. And the head of that division looked at their pencil and paper business and said, hang on, <laughs> digital is coming. We need to do something. And uh, so we kicked it off, actually, in a very modest way. We had a series of teleseminars, which he intended himself. So I think that's an important point for your listeners. So he didn't delegate that to somebody else. He said, look, this is important. And they were 10 um, two-hour teleseminars, basically about creating the language and the understanding of what innovation requires. And, you know, people think who haven't done it, people who haven't done innovation think it's this like mysterious alchemy where people in you know black turtlenecks come in in the middle of the night it's not it's a it's a repeatable reliable process but it calls on a different set of disciplines than you would use if you were just executing your existing business 
So I think by the time we'd taken their, basically their top, I don't know, maybe 80 people through, through this 10 module course, they were like, oh, we get it. We can do something about this. And then the next thing was we started basically seeding some small projects, which were managed in a really different way. And it led to what today are some of their most um, popular products in the marketplace. But if they hadn't taken that moment to say, wait a minute, where, where are assessments going in the future? Uh, I think they would have been in a lot of trouble today. We've talked a lot about it from the perspective of an organization on a more personal level. What can we as leaders do? Maybe if our organization has an innovation culture, or maybe if they have an innovation theater culture, or maybe if they have nothing of the sort, what can we do as individuals to be more innovative in our own lives? Well, I think the first thing is to give yourself the time to, to do it, you know, to try to, um, expose yourself to different kinds of stimuli. So if you think about imagination, human imagination, uh, Martin Reeves of BCG just had a great book out called The Imagination Machine. And he points out that our imaginations are kindled when we are up against stimuli that are unexpected. So if your brain has nothing to react to, if it's just like same old, same old, same old day after day, then you're not going to be engaging your imagination. But if you put yourself in a situation where something unusual happens, uh, then you can say, whoa, you know, why was that? It, it forces you to kind of go, huh? And, and it, it engages that part of your brain, which can conceive of new things. So I think one practical thing that you can do is really every so often put yourself in a situation where the unexpected is likely to occur. Um, I have some colleagues at a company called Solve Next who have a wonderful exercise that they do with people. They, they, they call it the dog in a hat exercise. And, you know, if you were just walking down the street and you saw a dog, you wouldn't think anything of it. But if you saw a dog in a hat, you'd go, wait a minute, <laughs> what is that? What is the dog doing with a hat on? And it's just a way of like shifting your brain a little bit from these well-worn grooves it's in into something that's a bit different. A, a prior role you had was consulting and advising Microsoft, where you helped design their executive events, including the CEO Summit and the CIO Summit. Is there a lesson that you took from your time working with one of the largest and most successful organizations in the world that you still utilize today? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, Microsoft at that time was absolutely fascinating because sheer brilliance and lots of resources, but in a way that wasn't really harnessed to reach their full potential. Um, but I learned a lot from, from the different business lines. I think what you've really seen in, in Adela's stewardship of the company is really getting people refocused on the future and focused not on being smart, but upon learning and really growing uh, and using a growth mindset. And I think that was really the missing ingredient because they always had like super smart people and just incredibly brilliant ideas, but it, it, they often suffered from internal competition. Hmm. Uh, a post you wrote once was entitled steering an organization is akin to flying a kite, which I think is a wonderful visual visualization of what organizations are like sometimes. What did you mean by that? And, and what can leaders do to make that a more successful endeavor? The kite metaphor is really a metaphor for organizations. And the encouragement is that when you're thinking about aligning your organization and getting it to do anything, 
um, you have to be comprehensive. So what you find is there are a lot of levers at your disposal. But just like a kite, they all have to work together. You can't force a kite to fly, right? Just as you can't force an organization to do things in a, and make it stick, right? And make it last. So you have to build it in the right uh, way and you have to launch it in the right conditions. And then you can think of leadership almost like the string of the kite where you're guiding it. So the elements that go into managing a kite are, are the levers that you have at your disposal. And what I find with executives is they'll often have a pet lever. So you'll talk to one leader and it's all about the incentive program. If I can just get the comp right, everything will fall into place. Or somebody else, it's all about the structure. And, oh, you know, I redraw the boxes and lines and that'll be great. Then the other person might be, oh, you know, it's all about the communication. We have to communicate. And here's the thing. It's about all those things, right? You can't just do one. So the elements in the kite are managing your agenda, probably the most important single tool that you have, managing the norms in your organization. So, you know, what's normal for things to be done around here. And there are companies that have more productive, better norms than others. Then you have indeed news and communication. You have your formal and informal structures, your people. Then you have your allocation processes, which is your budgets, your incentives, your rewards. And then you have the tail of the kite, which is kind of like your history. And the reason I love that as part of the metaphor is a kite with no tail, a startup, no history, you know, they fly all over the place. It's very hard to control them. But a kite whose history is too big and heavy, whose tail is too big and heavy, it's not going to go anywhere. And then hmm. finally, I like to think of leadership as the string of the kite. And the most important weapon that you have as a leader is how you manage symbolism. And the thing to remember, especially the more senior you get, is every single thing you do is just dripping with symbolic fallout. <laughs> you know, so you make a decision to go left down the hall instead of right down the hall one day and everybody is talking about it. Right. Or you make a decision that to you is just pure common sense. We're going to we're going to you know advance this project and slow down that one. And unless you provide the narrative, the other people will fill the vacuum with narrative. So one thing to remember as a leader is that everything you do has the intention, the meaning. Right. The, 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 sorry, the, um, the content of what you're doing and the meaning others make of it. And I think a lot of times leaders kind of try to be not into symbolism and you can't avoid it if you're leading human beings. Hmm. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about your time at Columbia. You, you've been a professor at what would be considered one of the world's most prestigious business schools um, for more than two decades now. What are we on the outside not understand about the life of a professor? Oh, <laughs> well, there's a lot that people get confused about. Um, I think the first thing people don't realize is that a school like Columbia, which is a research institution, is that a lot of our time is not actually spent teaching or doing the things that are visible to the outside. It's it's digging deep into data phenomena. It's writing academic articles that appear in prestigious publications. And that's a very important part of our role. Uh, the other thing that people don't understand is that professors really are part of a profession. And so You'll have your loyalty to your institution, of course, but you have your loyalty also to your profession. So if I'm myself, I'm a strategist. So definitely I care about Columbia, but I also care about the Strategic Management Society and other professional um, organizations that I belong to. And I think that's those are two things a lot of the general public doesn't understand. You know, they kind of think we're, we're, they think we're teachers first, but at a research institution, that's not necessarily the case. How has your perspective on what makes effective business education changed over the years? 
uh, dramatically. <laughs> um, well, my particular area of focus now is in executive education, not, not so much the MBA level. And I would say what we've learned with executives is you have to have learning as close to application as you possibly can. You have to use multiple methods. Some people learn by listening. Some people learn by you know, working with their hands. Some people learn visually. And I try to incorporate each of those modalities whenever I'm teaching. Um, and I really try to pin it to something that's very practical that people can take action on immediately. What are you the most curious about right now in your space or outside your space? If I had to pick a word that, that more guests have used more than anything else, it would definitely be curiosity. So as a leader, as a professor, as a professional more broadly, what are you the most curious about right now? I think how society is going to be reformatted after we get to the next stage of whatever you know, living with pandemic or emerging out of pandemic looks like, you know, there, there are some very strong signs that capitalism, as we've been practicing it, isn't working. You know, it's bad for the environment. It doesn't lift a lot of people out of poverty. It's produced lives of insecurity and difficulty for way too many people and concentrated way too much wealth in way too few hands. So, so I think we're on the brink of a great rethinking of all that. Um, I, so I'm super curious about how that's going to play out in the next few years. As a follow-up to that, what, what makes you the most optimistic and where do you think the most amount of work still needs to be done? Well, I'm very optimistic that we are at least seeing a recognition among the business community that running everything for the benefit of investors is not sustainable. I think there's a recognition that that's true. So that's encouraging. I think we're starting to see a counterbalance to the very strong voices of corporations. And by the way, I'm not against capitalism or against profits. I just think it has to be balanced with other things a society needs. You know, it's the greatest vehicle ever for lifting people out of poverty and creating uh, new wealth. I'm very taken with Carlotta Perez's theory of bubbles and um, she calls it the economics of bubbles and golden ages. Mm -hmm. And what her theory briefly says is when you go through a big technological transition, which we're in, in the middle of digital, that it takes a while for us to really appreciate what that means, but that once we've gone through it, that, you know, you, you start to use these new kinds of technologies in, in really new ways that increase productivity, and that can herald a new golden age. So when I get, <laughs> when I get really frustrated, I go back and I reread Carlotta. <laughs> Well, that's fascinating. And I, I have one final question before we, we move to the rapid fire questions. If you just found out that you were working with a brand new leader at, at your institution, in an organizational context, at a firm you were consulting with, and you could snap your fingers and give that leader just one trait, what trait would be at the top of your list for somebody you were working for? The ability to listen. That is a wonderful question to shift us to the final two rapid fire questions that we ask all of our guests. The first one is this, if you could describe your personal leadership style in just one word, what would it be? Aggressive, but I might need to explain what that means. Please do. <laughs> what that means is um, that I try to be the kind of leader that selects from options people bring. And so really I see it as co-creative. So Crescive stands for growth oriented. So rather than command and control or top down or collaborative or whatever other words you might use, it's really creating context in which people feel they can, without permission, throw up ideas and options. And then we can collectively choose among the best of them. 
Hmm. We have gotten a lot of wonderful answers to that question. That is the first time somebody has used that word and it's quickly <laughs> becoming one of my favorites. So thank you for that. Um, the, the final rapid fire question is this, what is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? Oh, I was working years ago uh, as a manager in an IT program, and we were converting one old procurement system to a relatively new one, but we were still depending on the old one. And it developed some kind of hiccup where, you know, purchase orders and things were not going to go out. And, uh, and I was in charge of this thing. And I was like, oh my God, this is a disaster. So I racing off to my boss's office and I'm like hair on fire. Right. I mean, like, oh, wow, this is, this is the bad, you know, I'm going to work all night. We'll bring in temps. We'll get this fixed. And, and he looked very thoughtfully at me and he said, Rita, you know what I want you to do? I said, no, <laughs> you know, and I'm expecting him to like call out the troops and the national guard. Right. Um, and he says, I, I want you to take the rest of the day off. In fact, I want you to take tomorrow off too. And I'm like, but, but, but there's a crisis. The purchase orders aren't going to go out. And he said something very wise to me. He said, you know, Rita, sometimes things have to fall apart before anybody musters the will to fix them. Hmm. Well, things falling apart and then mustering the will to fix them is a wonderful spot to close us out. Thank you so much for joining us. Where can our listeners find out more about you? Well, um, a good place to start is my website, which is RitaMcGrath.com. I know, incredibly imaginative name. But if you want to hear what I'm doing now, which is building um, a system to help support innovation and, and a learning process that goes with it, uh, check out Valise.com. That's V-A-L-I-Z-E.com. And there you'll find a ton of stuff about what we're working on right now. Well, thank you for all of the great insight and thanks to all of our wonderful listeners for joining us. If you enjoyed today's show, we would love a rating and review in your podcast app of choice. And we truly appreciate it when you share our show with your network. You can find me on social media at Matthew Confer. This podcast is produced by Ability, a leading provider of award-winning leadership development. You can find us at www.ability.com or by searching for Ability Leadership Development. Make sure to also check out our 12-week fully virtual mini-MBA, The Invited MBA, a nights and weekends program that features experiential learning, mentorship, case studies, and networking. Find more information at www.invitedmba.com. Finally, be sure to subscribe to our podcast so that you get our next episode. We want to thank you all for joining us on the Learn to Lead podcast podcast.